even just pre-pandemic, so not that long ago, a lot of companies, their strategy will get to content was essentially product advertising, NPI announcements, and relying on that to produce leads. Well, that type of marketing is really bottom of the funnel. It's going to be a very small number of people that respond to that versus content. And the broader the content, the further up the funnel you move. What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Vinding, and in this episode, we're going to dive into marketing in the manufacturing industry. Today, I had Graham Kilshaw with me. He's a business school graduate from the University of Portsmouth, UK. He worked for Rupert Murdoch's News International New Newspaper Group and the Disney theme park groups before he entered the world of electronic media. Now he's the CEO of Electrix, and it's a digital marketing agency for electronics engineering space. So first of all, Graham, welcome to, to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Santa, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate oh, it. Good. So we've known each other for, for a couple of years now, and I love every time that we yeah. actually meet or we actually, you know, on the phone. It's just, it's always like good good excitement and some good learnings and good experience we're sharing. Yeah. Um, but, but not all the listeners know you, so maybe you can provide just a quick introduction of yourself. Yeah, so on a personal level, as, as you mentioned, I'm from the UK. I've lived in the United States since 1995, so pushing 30 years. Uh, met a beautiful American girl in a London pub, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, <laughs> so ended up moving here and getting married in lovely, sunny Philadelphia. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, as the TV show says. Three kids playing a rock band, love skiing. That's me. That's the personal side. And the business side is electrics. Um, you know, and to the point of your podcast, Mind the Innovation, you know, electrics is a little bit of an innovation story. It wasn't always a digital marketing agency. It started out life in the 1970s, long before I got involved, as a publishing company in the electronics industry. I bought the company late, late, late 90s. And, and was a great little publishing company focusing on EMI and thermal management for 20 more years almost. And then around 2016, 17, we saw changes happening in the media space. And we essentially took the assets of the publishing company, so data, platforms, and people, and repurposed those assets into a digital marketing agency. And best thing we ever did. And we're still a publishing company. So that's our innovation story. That's a, that's a good story. It's always good to have a good story. Awesome. Let's um let let's talk about the the you know the marketing and the manufacturing. So I want to start out to say you know how has how has the role of marketing in the manufacturing industry changed over the last couple of years? Well, obviously the pandemic had a had a huge impact, and and you may have heard this phrase several times before, but. Today, marketing is sales and sales is marketing. And you may have heard that. I, first time I heard that, it stopped me in my tracks and made me think about it and thought, yeah, that's definitely true in the manufacturing space today. Certainly in the area of electronic components and their customers, the OEMs, where, where we tend to focus. And I think when people use that phrase, what they're really sort of trying to say is 
obviously the line is now blurred between what's marketing trying to do. In years gone by, it might have been corporate communications and PR and, and going to trade shows. And today, we're really looking for the ROI in marketing. We're really looking for, if we're going to spend this, what's the impact on sales? It may not be dollars, but it may be new conversations, new opportunities, bigger pipeline, something like that. And, and in the same way, salespeople, I think, on the other side of the equation are sort of learning to be better marketers, less talking about the product, more talking about the customer's problem. And, you know, I talk about product versus problem quite a lot. We'll get into that maybe later. But I think that's really what it looks like today. And, and, and the pandemic really drove that. I mean, we did so much during that what was it, two years, three years? Yeah. I, mean, I can't really remember now. But you know, if you think about the rate of innovation in sales and marketing during the pandemic, we adopted virtual meetings and stopped getting on planes. We started using things like marketing automation. We started accessing big data platforms like Zoom Info. Normally, I think in my mind, that would have taken years to make that gradual change. But when you're forced to make the change, which the pandemic yeah. did, it, it just all happened real quick. So I think that's the other real big change we've seen in manufacturing, that the speed of innovation has amped up significantly as well. Yeah. So what about the, the collaboration between sales and marketing when you talk B2B? Um, it's not every company where it's just, you know, they love each other uh, or they point at each other by saying, oh, you know, if sales is down, right? <laughs> they point in marketing, marketing point, you know, they always can point at each other. You know, even when I started out my career, um, let's just say a long time ago, yeah. sales and marketing never really got along and yeah. they kind of did their own independent thing. I think that's changing quite a lot right now. But uh, you know, even in large, especially in larger organizations, you know, you you see that sort of formalized a little bit now with what's often referred to as SMAs, sales and marketing agreements. And it's essentially a contract between the two groups where marketing says, if we do this, will you do that? Yeah. And, and, and the same way backwards as well. Sales saying, you know, if you can give us more contacts, more opportunities, more sales qualified leads, we will do it, but you have to do that. So you see these formalized relationships starting to happen, especially in larger organizations. In the smaller organizations, you know, I think you're still seeing that type of change happen more informally, but but it's definitely happening. Yeah. Relationships are definitely changing. Yeah. And it's good to have these kind of conversation, right? Between sales and marketing. Um, some something I've seen as well is that some will say, "Oh, marketing, right? It's a team, or it's this, you know, over in the corner or somewhere, right? Or if it's remote." Um, but but marketing is actually the whole company, right? It everybody brings something to the marketing content somewhere. Um, True. So so what what have you seen in 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 getting the the companies to understand that that any subject you know matter person or the one that has some kind of story um, or something there right to share can actually be the whole company yeah well let me give you a, a couple of examples so a friend of mine at tdk the vp of sales and marketing tom witcher told me a really good story um a couple of years ago you know electric had been advocating to sales teams and marketing teams to think about linkedin 
as a sort of a shared responsibility to your to answer your question, where yeah. everybody touching the customer has potential to influence the customer. And if you do the math, almost like a pyramid, you know, start with one person at the top and then you add on the networks of all the people below the senior person. Think about all the people you could touch. Yeah. Well, Tom, took, they told me the story. They took that principle they learned from Electric's uh, webinar and they were retargeting a previous customer um, and trying to win this customer back. And they used that strategy. They got the meeting. They won the customer back. And during the meeting, all of the very intentional LinkedIn promotions, messages, et cetera, that they had used following our strategy, they showed them it directly led to the meeting that winning back a major, major customer. So there's a good example of how you can, it's, it's kind of the shared responsibility. Everybody that touches the customer, especially with social media, has, I think, both a responsibility and an opportunity. Um, and, then, and then another example I'll give you is, um you're seeing more c-level and uh folks actually sort of be the face of the company again on social media that's the best place to see it you know and a good example there is don akery the ceo of waldem electronics even in his prior role at the distributor tti he was a very public figure on social media and uh Use this position, you know, very responsibly, but in a in a really useful way to get the message out for both TTI in the past and now Walden, because Don knows a lot of people, so people pay attention when Don says something. So yeah. I think, you know, I'm sure he's gotten the attention of other CEOs as to the impact that that can have, and this sort of this sort of shared marketing, this idea of shared marketing responsibility. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about the infrastructure within marketing? You know, you have website, right? You have the automation. Maybe you have sales enablement and content. It can feel like like a big mountain, right? If you're the, if you're in the middle of it, or if you have to start it. So, what oh, yeah. what kind of recommendation or what have you seen? And then you know how to get started with this marketing infrastructure. Well, we have two hours for this point, right? Oh so yeah, we do. I'll <laughs> sit down. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is kind of hard to know where to begin. And if you're, if you feel like you're at a blank sheet of paper with marketing, or you feel like you've got to tear it down and start again, or you know, you feel you've got that mountain to climb, however you want to sort of characterize it, you know, when when we work with clients, I think we sort of try to break it down into four distinct groups. So let's start with resources. That's people. Then let's look at data assets. How big is your audience that you can talk to today? Your mm -hmm. email database, your social media, et cetera, your CRM. Um, let's look at the technology platforms, the marketing technology platforms you have. So CRM, marketing automation, email, social media, and all of those things. And then the fourth piece is really the key one, the intangible of strategy. What's strategy? People don't often think of it as a resource, but we do because that ties everything else together. If you don't have the strategic plan really clear from the outset, then you're going to deploy those assets, not ineffectively, but probably not as well as you could do, unless you have that really sort of clear strategy from the get-go. So if, you, if we sort of break those down and sort of um, take them sort of one at a time, um, let's start with the people and the resource piece. This is sometimes the hardest one yeah. to do because you're talking about people you know, people you've worked with, people's lives and families and careers. But 
I'm sure you know the, the the famous business book, Good to Great. Okay, chapter number one in Good to Great, as a lot of people know, it's called First Get the Right People on the Bus. Yeah. And that's the name of the chapter. Um, I forget, is it Jim Green wrote it? I forget his name now. But that whole idea of like, if you don't have the right people in the infrastructure, it's kind of a road to nowhere. It's going to be very difficult. So there may be some training there that's required to get people to the skill level, or there may be additions to make to that team, whether you hire people full-time, part-time, or you outsource it like an agency or freelancers, or there's lots of other ways to think about the people assets. Yeah. Um, but there also may be some hard choices to make, You know, especially if you're moving from a sort of traditional type of marketing setup and you're really trying to become more digital, you know, if you simply don't have the skills in the organization and the people there can't get there, then you may be forced to, to face the, the question that some people may need to be replaced. And that's a really tough one. You know, it's not it's not where we go first, but but it but you have to face it. Yeah. Um, so those those are sort of the people questions when it comes to infrastructure. Then we get into the data piece. Um what, what I've found really interesting over the last sort of five years working with lots and lots of companies, companies tend to collect email addresses. Let's take email data as, a, as probably the most useful example because we, we can all use it. Yeah. And we all do that. We, all, all companies do this. You collect as many email addresses as you can and you grow your email database. The thing that I think a lot of companies miss is the is the point that today the average life of an email address is less than a year. Yeah. So think about how valid is your is your email database. We have done uh, data hygiene projects for several companies that had 20, 30, 20 to 30,000 names in the database. And by the time we did GDPR compliance, uh, spam traps, and all the other hygiene pieces, it's not uncommon for that Twenty to thirty thousand to end up being two to three thousand useful addresses. Yeah. So a lot of companies go into the marketing infrastructure thought process again. Hey, we're great. We got twenty, thirty thousand names we can market to. Yeah. But you know, how many of those are real and active and are going to respond is is often. And, a, a and are real they the real? Problem. You know, are they the real audience as well? Right. You can have and, a, a big list. Point. Yeah. 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 Quantity doesn't automatically equal no. quality. Yeah. In fact, rarely does it equal quality. Yeah. And the more you have a broader set of products, the the more um, sort of spread out the the validity of the email database is because this engineer may be interested in sort of power supplies, but not connectors. And this one's interested in LEDs, but not switches, depending, you know, that would be a pretty broad product range, of course. Yeah. But you see what I mean? So so there are some questions to ask there around the data. Um, and, you know, it's it's often the case that companies need to look at an investment period when it comes to creating valuable, new, useful data. A little different for the US, of course, versus Europe, for those folks watching in Europe, because you can't just hold on to data without people's permission, essentially, in Europe. But, but here in the US, if you're going to build your own um, database of prospective customers that may take an investment over three to five years and essentially buying advertising from trade media that has very large populations of your customer the more you can get those into your own crm your own marketing automation and then then you've got an asset you can market to i think that's 
that's one way to sort of think about building the data infrastructure piece. Yeah. But what about then the the content? You know, where where do you start? Right? Is it is it the 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 dating app? Right? We we we. Do you you know what's 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 the right path for this? Yeah, content. Yeah, this is another two hour piece of the conversation, <laughs> right? Um, I think everybody's figured out content marketing is the way to go and that you need to become an authoritative voice yeah. in the market that you serve. It's no longer effective just to do product advertising. Um, it, it, even just pre-pandemic, so not that long ago, a lot of companies, their strategy will get to content was essentially product advertising, NPI announcements, and relying on that to produce leads. Well, that type of marketing is really bottom of the funnel. It's going to be a very small number of people that respond to that versus content. And the broader the content, the further up the funnel you move. So, you know, if you're, let's say you're selling connectors to the automotive industry, for example, um, you know, a very broad white paper on, you know, five key things to consider for the harsh environment of an automotive platform when choosing a connector. That was a terrible title, wasn't it? But you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, that's going to that's gonna appeal broadly to a lot of design engineers working on dis different aspects of an automotive platform. So that's probably going to get a lot of response. You know, and then as you get further down the funnel, you get more specific about the content. You yeah. know, and, and our eyes that the product piece of the content comes last. Um, you know, that that's a very sort of quick overview I'm sort of giving there of, you know, how do you, how do you think about the type of content you're going to use? You have to think, well, what am I using it for? Am I just collecting names and building my audience? Am I trying to identify active buyers in the market, for example? Um, you know, if we think about a lead generation strategy, and it could be that this is just, pure thought leadership and, yeah. and maybe that tied to SEO. Maybe maybe the content is there for because you want Google to crawl it and bring those people to your site, which is kind of where things are sort of shifting to pretty quickly at the moment. So it, it, it really comes down to what's the purpose of the content. Yeah. No, I and I like it. And and I'm always like the one, you know, provide value, right? Don't just spit out things. Provide value. Um, because then you will actually start getting followers. Um, and you will also have, you know, customers or engineers, you know, whatever that signing up for these emails because they know what this newsletter, right? They know something valuable is coming out um, that could be of interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we we have a phrase at Electrix. It's marketing for engineers, not to engineers. If you know an engineer, and I know one because I'm talking to one right yeah. now. <laughs> Engineers don't like the idea of being marketed to. No. You know, they don't feel like they're being subjected to something. And there's, we talk about the the sort of disparate relationship between marketing and sales. Think about the relationship, the disparate relationship between sales and engineering. That's even further apart. So yeah. if you have this mindset that you're providing value, providing marketing information and education for engineers rather than to them. That's a good way to sort of set the mindset of the team that's about to go down this 
new infrastructure journey, let's say, of how to, how to build a better strategy. If you have that idea in mind, it, it's usually sets the sets the direction well. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back to because you actually mentioned it, but also you know go back to talk about thought leadership. So so why is this important um, to have this thought leadership for a manufacturer, and how do they do it? Why is it important? Um, well, I think top of mind for me and the why question is market share, mind share, ownership of the space, um, having your brand be the place that engineers who are going to buy your product think about when they reach that aspect of the problem. So if you make connectors, the design engineer is responsible for the whole new platform, the new box when they get to connectors. You really want if you can get them to think about brand X, it's it's brand marketing, really. You know, and, and in my eyes, you know, brand marketing is about getting the customer to come to you, and lead generation is about you chasing the customer. It's much more preferable, of course, that the customer comes to you. Yeah. So that's why you want thought leadership, because you want the customers to really sort of come to you. Yeah. Um and, and we're seeing it now. Um, you know, right across the board, very impactful really well thought out executions of thought leadership strategy um just a couple of examples um i saw um, a whole campaign from molex the connector company last year over a period of weeks and months it seems that was just focused on the wearables market what's happening there and yeah. it was really well thought out well executed you know they're obviously pretty enterprise level, but it's not just, you know, the big brands that are capable of this. It doesn't need a big budget, you know, come down to a smaller brand, oh my, the the resistor company. And um, you know, I was talking to some of their sales reps. No might's hundred year old company, I think. And I was talking to some of their sales reps a year or so ago. They now refer to Omite as an educator brand. It used to be this sort of old company from Chicago that made resistors. Yeah. Now it has the a very sort of fresh and exciting feel about it in the eyes of the salespeople. So if they feel energized about the brand, then then clearly Omite's done something right, you know, in the area of sort of thought leadership. Um, yeah. and, and one more example I thought was very interesting as well. Recon Power, they make power supplies. They're actually beginning their own e-learning programs, almost like their own university courses, as it were, yeah. On, yeah. on power supply design. So I think what you're seeing here, you know, I'm, I'm still a publisher, as I said at the beginning, but I think you're sort of seeing now manufacturing brands challenging traditional media owners uh, for the design engineer relationship. Yeah. They're sort of jumping over them. That gives me concern as a publisher. I don't know how other publishers feel about it, but these manufacturing brands are really executing this thought leadership approach very very well these days there's lots of examples of it yeah and and you can get information in so many places right i i use youtube every day <laughs> when i have to search something or I start with google yeah. yeah who doesn't right um but again it's always a few clicks before i find either the one who actually can explain the solution that i'm looking for in a good way or actually i have to reword it a few times to find what is it exactly my, my problem is um, right. so, so i'm sure when when manufacturers as well is creating 
this kind of, of content and have it on their website, that's also going to drive some some leads or attention or clicks to, to their website. Yeah. I mean, just to pick up on your sort of YouTube example, I think it's interesting to dial back 10 years. If you think about the um, the beginnings of YouTube, it's probably more than 10 years ago. But yeah. if, you, if you were there when YouTube started, it was dancing kittens and here's what I'm making for lunch. It was just complete, you know, entertaining but useless. Yeah. Who would have thought 10 plus years ago that YouTube would become probably the most used engineering education tool on the planet? Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal to think about. You know, so when I see new mm-hmm. platforms like TikTok and I start to dismiss them, I sort of remind myself, well, don't forget YouTube. And of course, the big one now is ChatGPT yeah. um, and the other, you know, generative AI platforms that are coming out. You know, we, we can't dismiss those as well. They're, they're going to be part of the infrastructure, I think, in the future, without a doubt. Yeah. It's it's the calculator, right? Let's let's be more efficient. Make, let's make more be smarter, uh, but let's not forget to be critical thinking of how we use it. I think that's, exactly. that's how it is. And we should teach our kids as well. Um, can't just say you cannot use it. Um, it's not They'll like... Probably ask what is a calculator, Santa, right? I, I didn't say fax machine. Come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, no, no. So, um, what, what, uh, what about? I know Electrix has done, you know, to be a thought leader. I want to touch this a little bit because you're doing some regional research every year, right? You do a survey, um, yeah. and that makes you uh, special in in the environment of where you are right now. So, if you can talk a little bit about that, and then I want to, you know, saying how if if a manufacturer can do something similar, if that's if you've seen it, or if that's something somebody should try. Yeah, so the research I think you're referring to is the the annual study we've done for a couple of years now. Uh, it's called How to Engage Young Engineers. Yeah. Um, it was really prompted by a couple of clients that said, hey, we're, we seem to be really struggling to engage that age group. Um, the question was, what is that age group? You know, where, wh- what's a young engineer? What's an old engineer? Yeah. And, and obviously, there's, there's a lot of gray space in the middle. So we started doing this this research a couple of years ago, um, we presented the, the 2023 version, sorry, the 2022 version, February last year in conjunction with ECIA, the Electronic Components Industry Association. So if somebody wants to watch it, go to the ECIA website and you can find the recording and watch it again there. But the findings were were surprising even to us, you know, and, and this is what we live and breathe every day. No surprise that YouTube was very, very high in the rankings of where do you go to learn stuff and how do you acquire knowledge and new knowledge and how do you solve problems? YouTube was right there, but it wasn't the top one. The one that surprised us the most was, in fact, e-learning for engineers under the age of 25, so out of college for a couple of years. And, and maybe this is something they picked up in college, so we're we're delving into it now. But e-learning platforms where you learn at your own pace, you know, it may be three hours work, 15 hours work. It's interactive. It's problem solving, challenges, guessing games even, 
um, calculators, all kinds of sort of fun interactive tools within the platform. And, and if you pass at a certain grade, they give you a certificate at the end. This was the number one choice for young engineers under 25, which really surprised us. So, so we're incorporating that into client strategies and plans now for going yeah. to market, reach that group. But of course, you have to have the audience to deliver it to. And so that's the other part of the equation. Um, so that was that was really sort of quite a key finding. Um, what else came out of there? Oh, the other interesting thing that came out of that study, which kind of made us smile a little bit. Um, so as you can imagine, younger engineers, you know, generalizing heavily, um, you know, display behavior like I use YouTube a lot. I use e-learning a lot. I don't want to talk to a salesperson. I'm happy to text a salesperson, but yeah. don't pick up the phone because I never pick up the phone. And, and don't I leave don't a even... voicemail, right? You can text. Yeah, don't leave a voicemail, right? <laughs> I don't even do that for my parents, let alone a salesperson. <laughs> but what the bit that made us smile was we found that the older age or older age categories of engineers were starting to adopt the behaviors of the younger engineers. Nice. Now think about in the past, you think about the young engineer comes into the business and learns from the older, more experienced guys. Yeah. And that's still true. And certainly when it comes to technical knowledge and experience and information and things like that. But in terms of behavior, we're starting to see the older age groups start to behave like the younger guys. They're, they're starting to adopt the same behaviors. So that was a really interesting finding as well. And sort of made us scratch our heads for a couple of minutes. So, and the whole, if anybody wants the document, um, we've got a PDF of the slides. Just contact me. would be happy to send it to them. Awesome. So having this, right, and you've done it for a couple of years now, um, I think it makes you collecting the data and you now can compare over the last couple of years makes the the, the information even stronger, right? Because you can mm -hmm. now say trends and this is where we went from, this is where we are going. Um, yeah. Having that that concept, could a manufacturer do something similar? Have, and have you seen anything in, in the industry if somebody's doing this? Sure. I mean, I think you know, the example I gave of Molex in the wearables space. And I think right now they're doing miniaturization or something. Um, and yeah. I have to go look at their site. But um, it's sort of demonstrating a little ownership of the space, authority in the space. And I think it's the way to really sort of think about this and execute it is, is be quite specific. Don't yeah. be broad. You know, be market focused, not product focused you know from what i read in the molex material it was a lot more about the problems and challenges of engineers designing products in the wearables category than it was about picking the right connector of course yeah. they had that product information in there somewhere i'm pretty sure but yeah. um you know be, be specific you know don't don't try to master everything it's the idea of jack of all trades versus master of one you know pick one thing and be really, really good at it, yeah. and then just own that space. And then it might be narrow, but it might bring enough new contacts, new introductions, new opportunities to you. And then you know, then you can go sort of sell them everything later. But you, yeah. you don't have to be a master of everything. You only have to be a master of one. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. What about so you know, looking at your whole career here, right? So, Gam, if you have to give yourself an advice like fifteen years ago, what what will that be? Ooh. If I had to give myself advice 15 years ago, um, 
I think the, you know, the I've heard this so many times and I'm so guilty of it. You know, a plan's not a plan unless you sort of write it down and fully execute it. If it's, if it's just an idea, it's not a plan. You know, I was never disciplined enough to really sit down and write plans and execute them. I think I would have gotten there quicker, faster, better if yeah. I'd actually had a very disciplined approach to strategic planning. I do now, but, you know, I wish I'd, uh, wish I'd learned that 15 years ago. Um, get more sleep, I think, <laughs> on a personal <laughs> level. You know, I've, I've learned how much better I function and more productive I am if I don't stay up late reading and watching TV. So I'm more disciplined these days than I was 15 years ago about, about getting eight hours sleep. It's, it's a remarkable difference. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think the planning and execution stands out to me is you really have to be disciplined about that and yeah. don't just write it and file it, write it and then live by it. Yeah. That's, that's a good advice. Um, if how about any, you? Oh, how about me? See, you're like, yeah, well, what would you have done 15 years ago better? Done 15 years ago. Um, take more chances. I think. Yeah. No, take more chances. Um, don't oh. just, yeah. Don't, Do it and try it. Um, I I think that's you know don't don't sit and saying oh I should maybe or you know just 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 do it and and learn from it because um, mm. again right and maybe it's been easier over the last couple of years again with the pandemic right so I started the podcast under the pandemic um, just saying hey <laughs> other people can do it I can do it let me sure. give it a try and see what it is and and I can see how much I've learned over the last many many episodes um how just the technical stuff of course right um, but creating the website there's so many things all the small snippets video um and and there's so many things there that I've learned that I wouldn't have been in a natural way of learning I think if, if there's anything natural um so to to give it a try and if it doesn't yeah. you pivot or you do something else yeah like they said we, you know there are no reruns in life right so yeah. give it a try i like that yeah i like that um cool so if um if any of the listener wants to to reach out to you um how can they connect with you um you'll find me on linkedin probably more than i should be so it won't be too difficult um uh, i don't think there are uh any or many other graham kill shows on linkedin and that i connect people with people through linkedin all day long so that's a good way um if you prefer our websites electricsgroup.com um those are probably the best two ways to get a hold of me and yeah would would love to continue the conversation with anybody that this might have sparked a thought with happy to just chat informally um yeah would love the opportunity to connect with some of your viewers Awesome. Yeah. And I, I'll put it, you know, the links to your, to your LinkedIn and also to, to the company website in the show notes. Um, and it will also be, you know, the episode will have its own page on mindinnovation.com. So you will be found. Um, so, so thank you so much, Graham. I think the, what I still like is, and even though somebody else wrote it, right, is the, that marketing is sales now and sales is marketing. I think it's, it's, that's, it's so important and it's so important to, to really have the collaboration between sales and marketing. It has, they have to love each other. Um, even if yeah. they have to do an agreement, <laughs> don't get divorced. No, uh, but, <laughs> um, but but you know have to have the conversations and then be creative. I think as well, right? You have to try and test things. Yeah, it it definitely is a time for a for a blank sheet of paper. I think between sales and marketing teams, you know, get in a room, 
go for a walk, go to the pub, whatever it takes. Yeah. But, you know, sort of just just rethink it because the, the opportunity now, you know, for innovation in sales strategies, marketing strategies, digital content, all of it. I mean, it, it's, uh, was it Disney said, if you can think it, you can do it. Yeah. I think it was Disney. Um, I think that's very true now that it's, it's incredible what you could you can accomplish now. Just take a blank sheet of paper and go do it. Yeah, I think that's the end of it. So, so thank you so much. Pleasure, Santa. Thanks so much for, for having me on. I enjoyed it immensely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mind Innovation Podcast. New episodes are dropping bi-weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Santa Vinding. You can also find me on YouTube, search for Mind Innovation. Or go to my website, sanavinding.com or mindinnovation.com. Stay curious, keep learning.